I'm going to do a one and done for you today, right? There's no sermon series here. Uh, I'm just going to give you something that, 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 you know, has just been placed on my heart to give. And it's kind of one of those messages that um, I've been super excited about it all week, you know? you're like, well, pastor, you should be super excited about every message. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm just like you guys. Sometimes I'm really excited. Sometimes I'm just like, God, you better come through because I ain't feeling it. You know what I mean? We're going to need the Holy Spirit here, you know. And, and, but today I'm, I'm really excited about this message because we're going to talk about something that I know a lot of people are going through right now. Um, a lot of emotional responses when it comes to this. And that is simply this. Has your back ever been against the wall? Right. Have have you ever been in that moment, in that reality where your back is to the wall and you're going through a situation? Maybe that's happening right now within your life. Maybe you've gone through a season of that recently and maybe you're not experiencing it at all. And I'm just giving you a realization of what's to come to be possibly. But on how we can be prepared, how we can deal with that within our lives you know maybe it's something uh, that that could could deal with anything like a job situation uh possibly some type of confrontation within your family maybe some type of relational uh breakup maybe some type of spiritual battle right but we've all been in those spots where we feel simply like our back is up against the wall in other words you're almost in a defense mode you don't know what to do You don't have an answer. You've tried everything that you can possibly think of, and things couldn't get any worse than they are right now. Can I just tell you something right quick? That statement is so false, because I promise you, things could always get worse than where you are right now. No matter how low you might feel, you can always become lower or find yourself in a season where you feel lower. Now, I want us to look at this morning a man named Stephen within the scriptures. What do we know about this guy? Most of us would simply just say this. We know that he was killed by a stoning. Okay? We know that in Acts chapter 6, he makes his first appearance and he is part of what is considered the startup church, the early church. This church saw a lot of things. This church saw tremendous growth, rapid growth, right? But it was also coming upon a very real problem and they didn't know how to deal with it. I mean, the scripture tells us they were seeing somewhere between four and 5,000 people on any given day come to Christ. Tell me that's not a church doing something, Right? Tell me there's not some excitement behind. Why do you think it's so important for the church to be excited about the relationship with Jesus? Who wants to be around someone or something that's constantly down in the dumps, that's constantly negative? We don't want that. I don't want to be around that. I mean, sure, for a moment as I'm trying to help someone, but eventually we need to help ourselves and get out of those situations, do we not? We need to get a different type of mindset. We need to understand who we are and whose we are and who are you. You're a child of God and whose are you? Well, simply God the Father's. 
So you should have automatically with inside of you some excitement about who you are. Look, life is not that bad for you as a Christ follower. Because why? You have Jesus. You have something that this world has nothing of and you have peace. You can have prosperity. You can have joy. And watch this. These are things that don't just happen seasonally for us as a follower of Christ. But there are thing, these are things that are supposed to be with inside of us every single day. Even when what? Our back is against the wall. So this church is seeing some rapid growth. But they've come upon a problem. They realize that there are some details that haven't been planned out, especially within a specific ministry. Now, have you ever been a part of something that you were so excited about? Big thing, right? You were so excited about, and when you started diving into it, you're like, wow, there's a lot of details in order for this growth or for this excitement to, you know, to sustain. You ever been there before, right? When you're looking at big things and you're like, there's a lot of details that need to happen in order for this thing to be successful. Well, here they are. They're, an early, they're the early church. They're the first church. They really, they don't have a, 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 a church blueprint to go off of. They don't have, you know, uh, the ability to look at past churches to see how they handled situations. Because why? This is the early church. This is the first church. Sure, they had the synagogues and they had, you know, the temple and, and, and they had all of these things. They had all of that. And remember, please keep Pittsburgh in prayer, correct? Don't forget that. That just came to my mind. All right. Keep that in prayer, that situation. Very sad. But they had nothing to look at as a blueprint. So the things that we would think of should be common sense, they're going, oh, well, we're just now realizing that this is a situation. And one of these things is dealing with widows. This is what their church problem was. They had a group of widows in this story that were... Um, being neglected, so to speak, all right? And you had, and follow with me here just a little bit. You're like, Pastor Widows, I don't really feel like hearing this. Listen to me here. It's extremely important that you grasp this message because I promise you, when you leave here this morning, if you are not uplifted in some way, if you are not encouraged, and if you have not been equipped, then guess who's, it's not my fault, it's your fault, all right? So here you have this group of widows, and this becomes a problem for the early church. And here's why there's, there's two groups, actually. There's the, the widows from Jerusalem, and there's, then there's the Grecian widows. All right? Two different nationalities. You had two different things going on here. And um, what was happening here was is there was a plan placed in order to take care of the widows from Jerusalem. They were being taken care of. But this church was rapidly growing. It was getting outside of their confine. It was getting outside of their element. And more and more people were coming to be a part of this church. And so you had this other group of widows, these Grecian widows, who were not being taken care of. And this was becoming a very real problem. They started complaining. Okay? And you can't blame them. Here they're seeing one part of people, one sect of people being taken care of, but we're part of the church too and we're not being taken care of. Anybody know how that happens, right? You've been there, you've had your feelings hurt within church before, have you not? Get over it, there you go. That was, uh, it was supposed to be funny, it just, somehow that's going to backfire on me later. 
Here we're going to look in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 3. And this is what the scripture says. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would be right for us, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, what is that saying? All right, here's what that's saying. You have the twelve, and they are all about the prayer, and they're all about the giving of the word, and they're all about, you know, doing... uh, kind of, you know, preaching the word, teaching the word, all of this stuff. They weren't really concerned about the details of it until it came to their attention. Then all of a sudden, oh, now we've got a problem. And so what they're saying is, is look, I, we can't, you know, our, our plate's full. My plate is full. I can't do any more than what I'm already doing. We need some people to get involved. All right. Verse three goes on to say, brothers and sisters, these, these are those 12. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. So watch this. They're not looking just for your everyday volunteer here, are they? They are looking for people who are grounded spiritually, who know what their faith is. And we understand that Stephen is one of these guys. He's one of those guys that is chosen. Now, verses 4 through 5 says, And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry. So here's what they're saying. Is we're not, we can't be bothered with all of this, but it's real. We see that there's a problem. We understand that there's a situation that now has arisen. And we cannot necessarily get involved in it. So what we need to do is we need to delegate this thing out. We need some people to get involved in order to allow this church to continually be successful and have the growth and have the impact that it's having. So it says what? Choose seven people. Seven people. Choose them. Then we can give our attention back over into what? Prayer and the ministry of the word. So verse 5 says, this proposal pleased the whole group. So everybody was excited. Woo! We got you. We're behind you. We're going to do this. And it goes on to say they chose Stephen. A man of, what, full of faith and of, what, the Holy Spirit. So here we have this guy, Stephen, along with six others. You notice how the others aren't even mentioned, right? They're, 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 they're not mentioned. But Stephen is being drawn out for this story. Because there's something really, really powerful that we can learn through this man's testimony, through his life. It says the next verse goes on to say, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What does that tell us? It worked. Whatever their plan was, calm down all the people. Everyone, it was, the delegation happened. The work is being done. And because people are working together and doing this thing called church together and doing it, watch this, not because I want praise for it, or look at me type of attitude, but doing it as a what? Team effort. We see here that it says the word of God spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem what began to increase rapidly. Here's my thought. You don't have to be the top of an organization in order to make a great impact. You may or may not be involved in something, but if you have a vision for something larger within your life and greater, Be a part of it and allow God to use you and your areas to make a difference. You're like, what does that have to do with me with my back against the wall? That's just a little golden nugget here, all right, on what we're about to get into. 
often we'll ask questions and really not ask for an answer. Have you ever, have you ever been or have you ever said this before? Well, what does it really matter what I do? You're not looking for a response in that. That's just simply your, dis, your, your distaste for something. Getting involved, being involved. Well, what does it really matter what I do? If we all had that type of attitude, what would we be able to accomplish? Thank you. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So what does it take? It takes for all of them, right? We see that right here, that as they took on the roles, the word what? Began to spread and made an impact and want people to Christ. That's why they're having those three to five thousand, four to five thousand, whatever it was, converts daily to the church. Why? Because people took ownership and they loved it. All right, let's go on. The next verse says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now, because Stephen was faithful, God is saying what? I can trust him with more. We know that Stephen was chosen simply because why? Scripture tells us he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. We don't know the type of education necessarily that Stephen had. We don't know how versed he was within the scriptures. We don't know all of that. All we do know specifically through these passages here is that what? He was a man that was full of the Holy Spirit. And within such a large group as what they had to choose from, obviously he had built such a reputation of being someone that what? Could be dependable. Someone that what people looked up to and said, you know what, this guy, even through his faults, still has it together. His fruit that he is producing is sweet, isn't it? It's not sour. It's ripe. It's good. It's not rotten. How does that reflect on you? What are you producing within your life? When people see you, what are the fruit that you are providing? Is it something that they can grab a hold of and nourish themselves with? Or is it something they look at and go, no, thank you. I don't need that in my life. The next verse goes on to say this. You know, anytime anything ever good happens, opposition arose. You know what I'm talking about? If you step up to do what? The extraordinarily. If you step up simply to do the right things. If you step up to live for God. Don't be surprised when opposition comes what? Knocking. Don't be surprised when it gets square right up in your face and you just want to punch it. Don't be surprised when it makes you sick to your stomach. Opposition arose. One way or another, people will find fault and with inside of us. One way or another, people are going to look at us and go, well, how, how can they step up like that when don't you know what they've done in their past? Watch this, I've heard this before too. Oh, sure, they're living good now, but what are they going to do a month, two months, six months, or a year down the road when things get hot and heavy on them? How are they going to handle the problem then? I believe that I have a church here that's becoming rooted in the word of God and that has become a discipled within the word of God that nobody can look at you and say that. Verse 10, 
says, but they could not stand up against the wisdom and the spirit gave him as he spoke. So here you've got this man, Stephen, and, and you've got these people who are beginning to rise up against him. All right? they're, they're, they're trying to cause problem for him because he's doing the right things. He's stepping up. So it says they could not stand up against the wisdom that the spirit gave him as he spoke. Have you ever met somebody that you can't win an argument with? Right? They're just too smart for their own good. Don't look at your spouse. Right? Don't look at that person across. The, don't do it, please. Sure you, sure you have. Sure you've come upon people that are so smart that, you know, it's like, why even begin the argument? Why even go there? It's obvious that Stephen is this type of individual that is well-versed. All right? He knows his word. This passage within the scripture should give us hope because Stephen has a secret weapon. Again, we don't know his background necessarily. We don't know everything that he knows. We don't know how he was raised, but we know this one fact, and that is what? He was a man who was what? Full of the Holy Spirit. He was empowered by something that was greater, greater than he was. I love this. When God gets involved in anything, where God is, everything changes. Everything. When you allow God to begin to move with inside of your life, it doesn't matter how much you know of that word. It doesn't matter how well educated you are. It doesn't matter how many doctrines you are or bachelor degrees or whatever, or even if you have a high school diploma. When God enters in and he allows his Holy Spirit to move and to work, everything changes. What changes? Now what? When you allow God to enter in, now you have a hunger and a thirsting for his righteousness, which is equate to what? His word. Getting into his word. Allowing his word to be a part of your daily life. It allows you. So what does that do? That begins to do something special. Educates you. Allows you to become what? Well informed and prepared when what? Those spiritual battles come your way. So then you are not so easily moved or swayed. Now, it goes on to say in the scripture that they secretly persuaded some men to say... We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So if they can get him with truth, they're going to try to get him with lies. All right? Rallying the people behind them to bring him before the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders here. You know, what I find very interesting is when you are trying to do the right things, your circle gets smaller. You ever notice that within life? When you're trying to cut out maybe bad habits, what happens? Your circle gets smaller. And that's good. That circle, what, those close friends, maybe it becomes less and less. Maybe God's trying to weed some things out of your life. 
Now I'm going to say this, and I heard this this morning, and I, I didn't even know that I was going to bring this into the message, and, I, and so I hope it fits well for you. Maybe it'll speak well for you. You know where to forgive people, right? God charges us to forgive people. Some of you are crossing oceans, literally crossing oceans to receive the acceptance and the forgiveness of others when simply they won't even cross a mud puddle for you. Move on. God has decreased your circle. Now, we go to Acts chapter 7. Most of this chapter, Stephen is giving a defense. He's giving a history lesson and he's reminding them the hand of God through Israel, through Abraham, through Moses. And so it comes down to the end and he says that, if you'll notice this, he says, he tells them every time God sent a prophet, you persecuted them. This is Stephen's defense here. As he has his naysayers, his people that are against him. You know, he's that, that guy that's just being flamboyant about God and trying to reach people. He genuinely cares. He wants to win people to Jesus. But he's got his haters. He's got his people that don't like him and they're upset. Why? Simply because he's trying to do the right things. And they're forcing his back against the wall. And so he's in a defense mechanism. He's in a defense mode. And he's saying, Every, look, you're so full of yourself that every time that God would send a prophet, you're persecuting them. And you know, he gets them even further. He goes on to say this. He even says, you know what? Remember that man, Jesus? You did the same thing with him. Have you ever knew that you had some information on somebody and when you threw it out there at them, as a defense mechanism, it just totally ticked them off. I've been there. I know what that's about. They don't want to hear it, do they? Oh, we don't want to hear what our wrong is. We only want to point out what your wrong is. Don't come at me at what I've done. Let's look at what you've done. That's a spirit of hypocrisy, is it not? Haven't we talked about that? Spiritual indifference, mediocrity within the, uh, the followers of Christ, spiritual hypocrisy, and what? Pride coming in? That's what they're full of. So they're coming at him, and he's in this defense mechanism, right? Watch this. Scripture goes on to say, after he said that, man, they got ticked. They got mad. They're just, watch, Acts chapter 2, or 7, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. Oh, that ticks me off. I've seen some of you do that before. Oh, pastor, that just ticks me off. You know, a couple weeks ago, I think it was like three or four weeks ago, I'm going to tell him one of my sons here. We were, uh, we were playing a football game, and I helped coach, and, and he's out there, and this is his first year, so he's learning. He spends more time on his rear end than he does up, you know. <laughs> and uh, we're in a huddle, um, and, and, you know, the, our head coach is talking to one player, getting him motivated, because you've got to motivate these guys sometimes, man. They just they fall apart after a while. And so I'm in there. He looks at me. He goes, all right, you motivate the, the rest of them. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, we're, we're getting killed. It's not looking well, you know. And the other team is, let's just say, you know, they're playing fair. They're just, they're just not nice, all right. And, and, and so I'm sitting here, and I'm trying to talk to these guys. And, uh, and we have one girl, too. And she's fabulous. She's a good player. And, and all of a sudden, I hear this. And I'm like, 
what, what, what am I hearing? What in the world's going on? And I just, you know, as I'm trying to, mo- I'm like, man, I must be doing something right. You know, they're, yeah, coach, we're going to go get them, right? And, and I'm looking at the players and I keep hearing this, you know, and I'm like, we got a dog? I mean, we got a dog on the team. We need this right now. And, and, and I'm looking at the players and they're all looking at me like big eyed. And they're like, yeah, coach, they're absorbing everything I got to say. You know, and I look and I, and I catch the eye of, of Carter and I see this just fur- furious look on his face and this sound coming from him, you know, and I'm like, where's the anointing oil? We're going to cast this thing out right now. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so here's Stephen, right? He's saying this stuff, man. These people are getting mad. He's throwing it at them. He's giving them the word. He's doing all of this and. So what does Stephen do? He's in a tough spot, you know. The members of the Sanhedrin heard this. It says that they were furious. They gnashed their teeth. Obviously, he had to think, this is not going to go well for me now. This, on the outside, outwardly, in the natural eye, this is not looking good. So what does Stephen do? Which is something, how, what can we learn from Stephen in this? What are some things that we can do within our tough situations? When, we're, when what? Our back is up against the wall. First one is this. Simply look up. Acts chapter 7 verse 55 says this, but Stephen full of the Holy Spirit. What did he do? He looked up. Mm. He's got a crowd of, that is mad at him. They're about to stone him. You know, the first thing to do in any tough situation is to get your eyes focused, what? In the right direction. Let me ask you this question. How happy are you with your life right now? That's a loaded question, isn't it? If I were to tell you to rate your life on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you fall? You know, 1 being most miserable you have ever been in your life right now. In other words, no one likes you. All the way up to a 10 where everything is going great. But watch this. Again, no one likes you. Isn't that funny how that happens in life? When you're down and out, people are staying away. When you're doing great and everything's going, people may not be staying away, but they sure don't like you sometimes. Where are you at on that scale? Some of us would say maybe we're a 3 or 4. Some of us could say maybe a 5 or 6. Others possibly might say, you know what, Pastor, I'm a, I'm a seven or eight, you know. There are circumstances that kind of cause this kind of rating within our lives or how we feel about our lives. You know, problems such as this, problems with kids, um, financial setbacks, bad medical reports, you know, a relational breakup, spouse and you not getting along. In fact, maybe the spouse is saying, you know what, I simply just don't love you anymore. Now imagine if someone came up to you and said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe away all of that stuff and you're no longer going to have it in your life. Where would you then rate your life? Well, obviously, we would probably rate our life as a 10. So what does this tell us about our lives? That how we feel is determined by what we are looking at right in front of us. How you feel about your life right now And how you would rate your life right now is simply the result of what you're looking at. 
We can understand that what Stephen was in a very tough situation. But the Bible says that he was a man that was what? Full of the Holy Spirit. He had things going. He was a follower of Christ. He was well versed within the scriptures more than likely. But it says simply that what did he do? He looked up. This is something that only believers in Christ can turn to. This is something only that we as followers can do is look up. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing where? At the right hand of God. So Stephen saw Jesus and suddenly it put everything into perspective. Jesus standing there. What did he do? What was, what was his response when everything around him was collapsing, when everything was falling apart? What did he do? The Bible tells us he looked up. Now, you want to know something very interesting? Paul was in that crowd. His name then was considered as what? Saul. This is before his Damascus Road experience, what changed his life and changed the, literally the church as we know it. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Listen to this verse or, or see it very closely and see if you don't see something very interesting here. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart, and he's, he's talking to the church of Colossians. And it's raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. How do you think he knew to say that? Because he saw somebody in a very tough situation where their back was against the wall. And even not being a follower of Christ, he watched, he was observing, and he saw how Stephen responded in that moment. When what did he do? When everything else was going against him, he looked up to God. He put his perspective in the right place. So these are words that Paul wrote that he literally received from that experience with Stephen. Now, secondly, when we're in these tough, tough situations where our back is against the raw wall, number two, simply do this, look ahead. You know, when you, when, you, um, when you look around, you get in trouble. You lose ground. You even simply get distracted. We see this very clearly in a story with Peter. Let's do some back, back story here before we get into what I'm about to, to give you. But here you've got Peter. And he's, he's what? He's a disciple, right? He's going around. He's following Jesus. He's doing all these wonderful things with Jesus. He's experiencing all this great stuff. And the story goes on, you know, that they were out and about. And I like to think that they were holding like a big church conference, okay? I think there was somewhere of... Their theologians believe, scholars believe, somewhere around 20,000 people who were in attendance on this one day. And the reason they say that, they believe 5,000, uh, obviously the Bible tells us, were men. And how many know that typically only a third of your church is made up of men? The other two-thirds are made up of women and children? Are you following me here? Guys, we got to get it together. You know what I'm saying? Women are out doing this spiritually. And so here they just came from this great church conference or they're at this great church conference and Jesus is ministering. He's 
touching lives. He's pouring into these people. And Jesus tests the disciples. He simply says, well, you guys got to feed them. You guys know the story. What does he do? You know, they take the, 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 the loaves of bread. They take the fish. And Jesus multiplies it. And they feed all these people. So they walked away from a moment that was exciting. They walked away from one of those moments that was just exhilarating. It's a huge win spiritually. You know, it, it, they're going, wow, the miraculous, the impossible just happened before our eyes. So Jesus then tells the disciples after everyone's done dispersed and everybody cleaned up and all this good stuff. He says, get in the boat and go across the lake. So the Bible tells us that what do they do? They get in the boat and they go. And the winds come, it's getting stormy and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, one of them, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, so follow me here. One of them spots, what is that, a ghost? And another one goes, no, 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 that's, that's Jesus. And Peter's like, well, if that's Jesus, then call me out to walk out to you. What does the scripture say? Bloop, over the boat, he goes, and begins to walk. His eyes are fixated on what's in front of him. In that moment, not what's around him. But you read a little further, and it says that he began to do what? Look around. And he saw the impossibilities. He looked at the elements. He looked at everything that was going on and said, Oh, this, this is not supposed to happen. And we know what happened. Why? Because he took his eyes off of Jesus. He became so impressed with looking at what's around him rather than staying focused on what's in front of him. You know, that happens with us as followers of Christ. We get into settings like this, and some of you are going to leave here inspired today. You've already been inspired whether or not we even got into the Word. The worship was fantastic. But you're going to leave here, you're going to be pumped, you're going to be like, yeah, my back's no longer going to be against the wall, and then you're going to get home. Or then you're going to get to work. And what's going to happen? Your eyes are going to get off of what's ahead of you. Who is who? Jesus. And your eyes are going to be what? Fixated again upon your problem. We don't want that. I don't want that for you. We need to become disciplined when it comes to the word. You need to remind yourself daily whose and whom you are. Now, We see here in verse 56, he says this. I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What was Jesus doing in that moment? We understand that while while he's at the right hand of God, what is Jesus doing? He's an intercessory for us. He's interceding. He's talking to the Father on your behalf. Now, what I love about that is maybe, what, what were his words? What was Jesus' words in that moment maybe to God the Father? You know, God, this is Stephen, man. He was chosen specifically to do something. He, he's, he's what, full of the Holy Spirit. Because of his obedience, look at how many have come into the relationship, into the fold, into the following of you. Who've become what? Into the, to the church. I can't help but think that, you know, he's, he's standing there and, and, and he's doing this. What Jesus, or excuse me, let me say this. What Stephen doesn't know, and all of this is happening around him, 
is that how he responds to the difficult situation that he is in, how it's going to impact so many people. We know that what? Who was standing there in in attendance? Paul was standing there. Paul or Saul was watching how Stephen was responding with what? What? Faith and trust. This is an experience for him that will never go away. And in a few days later, we understand that Paul, what happened? He had his own encounter, did he not, with Jesus. We understand that Jesus said, well, you know, I'm going to change his name. And pretty much saying he's going to be the greatest evangelist that's ever been on this planet. Stephen has no idea the future of any of this. He has no idea that how he's responding in all of this is going to change the church forever. What does that mean to us? How does that relate to you and I? Simply like this. Austin, come here. Sometimes you got to have a visual aid to this stuff. You know what I'm saying? I got my guy Austin here, and he's going through a tough situation. Not really. I, actually, I really don't know if he is or not, but I, we're pretending that he is right now. And he's going through a tough situation. But he's not going to allow the enemy and Satan to get the best of him. Because why? He's a man who is full of God's spirit. Okay? He's allowing the word of God to interact and to impact his life daily. So he's allowing himself to be rooted very well. So instead of his response be however the world responds, and I'm not going to get into all of that with you, but you know how they do that. Because why? You were part of the world one time. You knew how you used to respond to difficult situations within your life. And so we have Austin here who's going through a a trial and going through a struggle. But he's he's not looking around at his problem. He continues to what? Look up. Keeping his focus and his perspective, what? Ahead of him, relying on Jesus and his difficulty. And he has no idea that my brother Gordon here is watching everything he does in that moment. He's watching how Austin is responding. This is what was happening with Stephen in this. Because Paul, the greatest evangelist of all time, the greatest church planner, of all time, who was persecuting Christians, who was against the very word of God, was in attendance that day. And he's watching this man. And as he's watching him, there had to have been something triggered. There had to have been a moment that began to, something's different here. This guy's not falling apart. He's not becoming an emotional basket case. He's not getting on social media and showing where he's at and what he's doing. He's not getting involved in things that he should not be getting involved in. He's standing here and standing firm. There's something that he believes in. There's something more powerful inside of him. So my brother Gordon here is watching because he's going through some difficulties too. But he sees how Austin is responding to this. And watch this. Because of Austin's response, And how he's staying firm in his relationship. Come here. It's an encouragement to this guy. Now watch this. Now watch this. So he comes over. All right. 
And now he sees what happened. And now he, he's sharing the faith. Something's happening. Instantly the church grew 50%, did it not? Instantly. And so now you know what happens? Because we understand that when we go through difficulties and problems, we still go through them as Christ followers, do we not? Absolutely. We go through them hard, just like the world goes through. We go through financial setbacks. You go through divorce. You go through bad kids. <laughs> Challenging kids. All right? You go through stuff. You go through family breakups. You go through spiritual battles and headaches. And so my, my man Gordon here has been encouraged by the life of Austin. And there's been a faith sharing. And all of a sudden, my man Gordon's going through a hard time too. Maybe him and, him and Kelly aren't getting along, which I think they are. You know? Maybe the job is getting too much and struggles are happening and and, 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 you know, just the weight of the world, there's a heaviness on him just happening. But you know what? My man Jim is watching Gordon because he got a relationship. They're friends. You know what happens? He, he continues to watch how he's responding. How did Stephen respond? Let me remind you. What did he do? He looked up. He looked up. Which caused him to put himself, his perspective, where it needs to be. And then what does the scripture said? What? His eyes were looking ahead. It was fixated on who? Jesus. He saw him where? At the right hand of the Father. Jesus was praying for him and intercessing. Just as Jesus was praying for my man Austin, he's also praying for my man Gordon. He's saying, do you not see Gordon? Gordon, Gordon heads up a, a prayer thing at his work. I think like every week, don't you? Or once a month or something like that. I've been to that. It's awesome. He sends out a text every single morning to a group of men for encouragement. But my, my, man, my man Jim here sees, he sees the life. He, and so come here, Jim. I'm going to stop it right there, I promise, okay? Some of you are like, don't call me, pastor. I know who to call and who not to call up, all right? So he sees the life that Gordon's living and because of that, he then what? Gives his heart. He's sharing his faith. He becomes a follower of a Christ because he knew there's something bigger here. There's something. Who was in attendance that day with Stephen? Paul. Paul, who would become the greatest church planner of all time. Paul, who was the greatest evangelist of all time, who didn't care what anybody thought of him. He went full force all the time for who? Jesus. Why? Because he loved people. It's amazing how he hated people. When Jesus came into his life, what did he do? He loved people. Do you know how all this started? Well, simply here. My man Austin didn't give up when stuff got hard. He didn't fold. He didn't throw up his hands and say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Where is God? What does it matter what I do? He stayed the course. And look what happened. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. You guys can sit down. Thank you. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18 says, For our light 
and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Watch this, I love this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. So what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You have no idea who's watching your life. You have no idea the impact that you are making. Because watch this, you are making an impact one way or another. Now, this one, you're going to be like, well, pastor, this doesn't make sense. Number three, look back. We need to look back. Not looking back at what should have been or could have been. But this is a hard one here. But simply taking a look back to forgive those who have thrown rocks at you. Acts chapter 7, verses 59 through 60 says, while they were stoning him, I love this. And I'm going to end right here so you guys can make your way. But Acts chapter 7, 59 through 60. It simply says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Stop right there first. Let that sink in. I'm sorry. Let that sink in. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed even though, but Stephen prayed. I don't care how you say it. It's simply a miracle that he was praying. He knew what the natural outcome was going to be, but it did not stop his desire to still pray and to do what God has singled him out and called him to do. It goes, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60. Then he fell on his knees. And what does it say? He cries out. He just didn't talk. He just didn't, he was, you're going to say, well, yeah, he's crying. He's getting stoned. That's not why he cried. I believe, I truly believe in that moment, there was a supernatural power over him. God was protecting him in that moment to keep his mind set straight. Then he fell on his knees and it says, and he cried out. You know, when you cry, what is cry? It's an emotion, isn't it? That's a passion that's coming out. There's a true emotion in this moment. It says, then he fell on his knees. He cried out. This is what he said. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is cool. Because he doesn't need to forgive them. He's already done it. He's taken it a step further. He says, God, don't judge him for this. Don't judge him. Don't judge him. What did Jesus say when he was on that cross? Father, they don't know what they're doing. What does that mean? God, just don't judge them. Don't judge them. You know, some of you, you're going through a, your back's against the wall in some situations. If, it ha, if it's not, it has been. And if you've not experienced it, chances are somewhere down the road, even as a Christ follower, it's going to be against the wall. How are you going to respond to it? How are you going to respond in that moment? I know in the natural side how we want to respond. Lord, give them everything they deserve. Give it to them and give it to them hard. 
I want them to feel the pain that I felt, Lord, and then I'll forgive them. Stephen took it a step further. He said, not only am I forgiving them, but I'm saying this, God, don't judge them for it. Don't judge them for it. What's your attitude been? How's it been? Stand with me this morning. So we learned a couple things here this morning. We learned to, when we're in these tough situations, to look up. Make sure our perspective is on God. When we do that, we're able to look forward on what's ahead. Not looking around because the circumstances around really stinks. If you allow the circumstances around to define who you are, you don't have a good definition of your life. But when you continue to look ahead, and when you do that, you're able at that point to look back. Not at what should have been or could have been, but simply, it's time to forgive. I need to forgive. I need to move on. But you know what? None of this really matters if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Simple. If you're sitting here today and you walk out and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, everything I said is meaningless in your life. Because the only way this can work is when you say, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my soul. Save me. Be the Lord of my life. Be my king. Be my savior. Every head bowed in this room, I want to ask you this question. If you've never accepted Jesus in your life before, you want to make a commitment today, possibly, or maybe you have and you've, things have just been rough, man. It's just, it's just tough. And you feel so far away from him. Whatever it is in your life, if you want to make that commitment today to him, I want to encourage you. I want to ask you, slip your hand up. I see that hand. I see that hand. I'll give you one more moment. If that's you today and you want to give Jesus your life, you want to accept him as your king this morning, I want you to slip that hand up. I see that hand. Thank you. All right, you can put them down. I want us to pray this prayer together boldly as the family. Lord Jesus, today I give you my life. Be my Lord, be my master, and be my savior. Forgive me, Lord, of my sins. Wash me clean white as snow. Today is a new day. Today is a new beginning. And Lord, I love you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap? So now, here's what I want to do. I want to ask you this, and boldly. If your back's been against the wall here recently, and you feel like, you know what, pastor, that message was right at me, and I need to get this perspective thing right. I need to start looking up, looking ahead, and forgiving. If that's you today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you out a little bit. I want you to step out from where you are. I want you to come up to the front here. Be bold in your faith. Be bold in that commitment. I want you to have a moment, because they're gonna play a song. I want you to have a moment where you can pray. You and God, you can pray and say, Lord, this perspective, this thing needs to change. If that's you today, I'm asking you to step out from where you are and come to this front. Come on.